Okay, the situation on the electric chair is this, and it's an interesting deal due to the fact that um, not everywhere still has the electric chair. Um, KSP is one of the places that still have guys that are on death row long enough to have the kind of nefarious option of electric chair or lethal injection. We had lost the last of the ones that could have choice of firing squad, I think, back in the 50s. You go down to 15 Walk, which is segregation unit in 3 Cell House. This is one of the oldest cell houses uh, that's still functioning. And you walk down 15 Walk, which is, had been where they would set the guys awaiting death row because at the end of the walk was the, you know, the death chamber. This is where guys could maybe have private meetings with their ministers or whatnot, maybe visit their mothers or fathers without a bunch of people screaming and cussing and threatening to do all this to your family. Give you a little time to get your stuff together. And also, it, it was a little tinge of torture in there. You're isolated. All you can do is think about what you did. I'd come in from another institution. I wasn't a, a fish. It was what you call a new kid. Rookie cookie. My group come in, and there's females, and there's some guys. The unit administrator, he said, hey, uh, check it out. Look at that. This is, this is part of history here. You know, this is... I started looking around. I was like, wow, man, does this thing still work? So, um, yeah, I mean... Don't take five minutes to hook up the, the leads and it's ready to rock. They come in here and clean it every every week. And he's he kind of he kind of read the room and he's like, "You want to sit in it?" So one of the things is yes, it's initiative it's initiatory if that's a word, and it's also a bit of a weeding out process to uh, borrow a black flag during the weeding out. And of course, you know, a lot of ex, the ex-military guys, yeah, I sit in it. I ain't scared. They sit down. Yeah, man. Oh, look at me. I'm fine. You know, kind of like a green mile type deal. Yeah, it's cute. Some of the girls maybe could do it. And some of the guys are like, yeah, I'm good. So I'm sitting there gauging it. Well, I'm like, I want to do it, but I want to do it differently. So I'm sitting here. I'm sitting, I want to think about what they're thinking about. Kind of like that old Johnny Cash song, you know. Not like 15 seconds or 15 minutes to go or whatever it was. And I'm counting it down. I'm thinking, okay, you're sitting there. They're lashing your legs, so I pull my legs up against it. They put the thing across your chest. They put the thing on your arm. Put the, you know, the lead. They start putting the skull cap on you. Okay, they're getting ready to do the first run. They turn on the initial thing, so the transformer that sort of build up power to carry that big jolt. What are you going to do? I said, well, so I thought back to that time when I saw that thing in my room. Animal brain takes over, a lizard brain. What do you do when something's going to hit you? You flinch up, right? You kind of draw away and tighten up. So I did that. I kind of tightened my body up and my hands clenched the hand grips. And I sat there for a minute with my eyes closed thinking about it. They're doing other stuff. They're not even really noticing me. Got a real strange, swimmy, deja vu feeling. I said, yeah, I'm ready to get up. And, uh, and I said, that's, that's sobering. You know, because I was one of the few that kind of took it that way. And he said, I said, yeah, I said, that's, that's what we're hoping you guys take from it. I mean, this is, this is a life and death job. Death happens here all the time. Can happen, you know, that's just the nature of it. And, uh, I was like, man, that seat felt really weird. So I look up under it, and I see all these little dark half-moon shapes, semicircles. And I'm like, what would 
calls that? I'm like, all oh, those fingernails, fingernail prints. But they're not just indentions. They're burnt in to where it, they burnt into the things. Well, I was like, oh, God, man. You know, and we went on to go eat at the commissary. Sat down and got our little plates. And I go to reach for a napkin. Kind of, kind of wipe my mouth and smell something. Look at the napkin. It's nothing on it. I'm like, I smell my hands. It was a real, it's like, if you've ever burnt sugar or caramelized something too much, like burnt honey, it's like that. Or if you burnt burnt like a like say apple wood, or something like that, or maybe bake something in the oven and it fell on the little elements and had that scorched sweet flesh smell, it was like that, and it just ran through me. Um, I used tomato juice, I used lemon juice, I used everything. Um, scrubbed, used a, a scrubber on my hands until my fingers almost bled, and I couldn't get that out of my hands for about a week. Coming back from the chair at the time, it felt very, I felt very, um, I felt very on. I felt very, I don't know how to describe it, like connected to the moment. And I'm walking back and I almost felt connected. I mean, I almost felt like something was behind me. And I said, uh, does it always feel like it's down here? He goes, oh, well, yeah, yeah, sometimes the, the AC don't work. I said, oh, man, I'm. That's what I'm talking about. And he kind of looked over his shoulder at the other guys, and they're back there, and he says, Oh, yeah, that. I said, yeah, it's pretty much like it all the time. I said, Wow. He said, Yeah, man, it's one of those things you're going to, you learn to adapt or you get out. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. On this edition, retired prison guard Steve Asher, a paranormal investigator, a son of the South, the keeper of keys, and of tales from inside one of the darkest prisons. Next, on Euphemet. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Somewhere behind the old courthouse, through a thicket, poke weeds and low arms of ancient branches, Big Spring Park, once known as the Bottoms, and not unlike most of western Kentucky, host to a dark history. The Trail of Tears, dirt-poor Civil War soldiers, and hungry, freed slaves, there has, unmistakably, been bloodshed here. 
But for now, retired prison guard Steve Asher and I are creekside, peering into a deep, dark hole, an abysmal, breathy mouth of the earth, where on this day, the babbling creek is the only thing that finds its home down there, in the cold below. That's scary. Well, <laughs> okay, we're walking up into, into the mouth of Big Springs. There's, uh, you know, wooden steps that have been fabricated with some lovely graffiti sprayed on it. You gotta love it. And these rocks used to kind of be sort of step rocks. You used to be able to kind of jump across and had to show how tough you were by jumping on. Usually you just hit the moss and bust your ass, but a lot of kids used to come up here and back in the day and they would get up under this ledge. It's almost like a, a freaky looking stonehenge looking deal. And they would get up under that and hang out and burn one and make out with girls or all, all three and stuff. A lot of times I would get under there uh, like I would get books from the library because I had I didn't have any game. Uh, I really wasn't interested in chicks. Uh, that's, first of all, I call them chicks. That's probably helps to explain why I don't. <laughs> I speak like from the 1970s. Dig it. <laughs> but it was a thing where um, coming from a divorced family at seven, uh, I didn't want any part of girls because that means kids, and then you destroy them because that's what you do. You kill what you love. So anyway, I'd come down here and I'd read books. And then I'd sit and listen to the sounds in the caves. And when I was a real scared kid coming up because uh, we'd had some paranormal activity at our home. Me and a friend of mine had went and watched a, I don't know what it was, man. It was freaking Hellraiser, I think. And I kept picking at him. And you know that scene where it has the face in the box that says, Jesus wept. Ah, ah, ah. I would do that, but I'd do it real deep and screw, screw, just creeping them out. Didn't like it. And in this little room, we had like a fan in the window because this is... Back in the days, we didn't have any AC and stuff. Poor. Glad to have the fan. And we had a doorway open because we didn't have, okay, we didn't have doors on our rooms because when I was an infant at this house, there was a real bad fire. And my mom almost couldn't get in to get us out. And they had to kick the door in. And it had scarred her feet really badly. And she'd always tell me that story. So I didn't grow up with, I had zero privacy as a kid. So anyway... We, I was sitting there, and we kept joking about it. Or I kept joking about it. I was like, yeah, it's not cool. It's fine. Yeah, it's funny. Ha, ha. You're a funny guy. Quit. So it, the temperature changed, and it felt like the air was being sucked out instead of blowing in. And you could see it was dark because back then we were living out on Dawson Road. It was still um, out in the county, and it was dark anyway because there was not a lot of streetlights. But you could see an outline in the dark, like something darker than dark. I'm sure you've heard that a billion times from people. And... You could feel the air, almost like if you're... The visual aid is not going to help you on radio. Like if you put your hand against your mouth against the back of your hand and kind of go... And you feel that coolness drawn off your body. It was like, okay, think of like Deathly Hollows or something. Where the guys are drawing your soul off of you. It's not, it wasn't that intense, guys, but it was that kind of sensation. And this big freaking... Looked like uh, something off a of deal video or like... A, like okay, man. Lame freaking video, but do you remember Rock of Ages where it had the guy and the... The hood, it was like that, that, like that. It, it was almost clear to the top of the doorway. It was almost seven foot tall, and it was wide as a door. Because, like, okay, you remember uh, in Princess Bride, I have come for your soul. Sure. Okay. They're going to hate me for all these voices. But it was, cat was that big, and it just and it started moving in. Not like, he was like, <whistles> that's the sound you make when something glides in a room. <laughs> and so I'm like, uh, and he's like, oh, God. He's, yeah, yeah, I see it, man. It's cool. It's, it's, it's cool. It's not cool. It's not cool at all. But I'm trying to be the dude. So I'm like, uh, 
come and I'm looking around. And he's like trying to get through the door, trying to get to the window. Calm the down because for us to get across to the window, we have to pass where it's starting to come into the room. So I get on the edge of the bed. We have one of those pool lights right in the middle of the room. So I'm having to get like edge out on the thing of it. And for some reason, remember that little nerd, that rhyme, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Come to mind. I understand I was young. Scared, I was scared. And that's the thing that my animal brain grabbed. So I started singing that. I pulled the light. I fell back in the bed, covered up, shaking, sweating, scared to death. He's sitting there shaking. Wait a second. The temperature of the room changes. There was a bit of a smell. Like a like a musky, like into old damp basement smell. We don't have a basement. There's no reason for any of that. And got the covers back. It's gone. You tell your folks that, yeah, I'm seeing stuff. They, they, see, they saw stuff too. You'd see little things going across, not the floorboard like a mouse or something, something along the tops of the walls, along, going along the corners. You ever heard the thing of, don't stand into a doorway either, step away or come in? Which I think probably has more to do about being an eavesdropper. But there was a, some old myth about if you stand in doorways and corners, that's where demonic things linger. Like a spider builds a web in the corner. So anyway, um, I started researching about this stuff. And I started being the Pugsley Adams kid because I was always a round kid with a little chili bow haircut. So I started going to the library. So I'm in there getting books on you know, ghosts and gins and the rites of Catholic you know, exorcism and... All kinds of everything. ESP, freaking spontaneous combustion, um, um, you know, Zulu fertility rights. I, I wanted, in another life, I probably would have been an okay anthropologist or maybe sociologist, maybe a proctologist. I don't know. I'm kind of an ass. So, but all that ties in, and this is one of the places I used to would come and read because I kept felt a, a connection to it. I don't know why, but I did. And I would usually sit with my shoes off. I guess it was called grounding now. I didn't know what I was doing. I was, t I was tapping into something sort of primal at the time. I wasn't hip. I just, it felt right. And I go by a lot of gut. I still to this day, I go, my gut tells me something's wrong. Stop that. What did people think about that when you were that age? I didn't tell a lot of people because I was a poor, very poor kid. That's just, you know, I kept it to myself. And then when we did move further out and stuff, still didn't talk to a lot of people, kept it to myself. You know, Hans Holzer, that was my buddy I talked to in those books. Uh, to this day, I, I give credit to Hans Holzer because he was sort of the guy that opened the doors for me in search of, you know, um, you know, Leonard Nimoy. But yeah, that's who I went to. Librarians kind of knew, but it was like that, oh, that's that Asher boy, you know. Everybody ever thought I would grow up to be uh, probably either a, either a serial killer or have like a, I don't know, crazy... Uncle Stevie's dungeon or something because I was a weird kid I was a strange kid and I, I didn't have a lot of close bonds with people you know that thing he was a real quiet neighbor but he was really nice they don't know why we found all those bones in his ceiling but <laughs> for whatever reason I went this way so and it's one of these things I don't want people to think that I see you know handsome boogers as we call them here handsome boogers around every corner and behind every patch of poke but you know there's a lot of dark stories here and we're going to get to some of those here in just a bit. Next on Euphemet, we enter the gates of where many never return. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. The inscription at the gates of hell from Dante's Inferno, and the same warning seen on a plaque greeting those condemned to serve their time here at the Kentucky State Penitentiary. We stand below this behemoth, known as the Castle on the Cumberland, fortified, massive stone walls tower above us, keeping us out, but keeping them in. It's a place Steve was lucky to leave alive, but not without leaving a part of himself in there, and a part of this place, leaving with him. However, it's not the first time KSP has forced its nature on the Asher family. Hell, it's not even the second. My grandfather had been an inmate at the Kentucky State Penitentiary, which I wrote the book, The Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, about, plug, plug. And my father, years later, growing up so rough under him, became, decided to go the diametric opposite and become a police officer. My dad used to talk about when he would walk to Three Cell House, and he would touch the walls, and almost as a ritual, almost as a respect thing, because my father was, was gone. When I'd walk through, I'd put my hands up across the stones, kind of say, hey, Dad, you know, I'm thinking of you. And uh, so I, I guess I was connected to that place much deeper than I really ever gave credit for, because I didn't ever think about, well, maybe my grandfather's also, who I never met. He died a month before I was born in 69. And I'm sure we've lost blood in that place. I mean, I know I have having to fight, you know, breaking up fights and things like that. And yeah. And you get a lot of emotional, there's emotional ups and downs there. In the control center, you have multiple uh, monitors showing the front and back of each walk. It goes up, it's like if you take like a Scooby-Doo sandwich, you cut it in half and you open it. You're going to have X amount of slices this way, X amount of slices this way. This is prison side. This is Riverside, which faces that water that we saw. Down the center is the pipe chases, which is a series that's inside the walls that you climb up and have to check, make sure nobody's trying to climb out or found some way of passing notes around cells and under toilets, and they're crafty. <clears throat> so I was in there working, and this was evening. On evening shift, nobody was out. And it was almost shift change around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I had an older officer. He was running up doing this and that. And I would notice like little, uh, it almost looked like a mirage, like off a hot ground where it looks kind of fluttery and it would stop. Okay, well, I'd change the contrast a little bit and things would, it, things would go away and it would come back and come back. And then I was like, man, it's just really weird. Didn't do it anywhere else, just on 20 walk. 20 river, which is at the bottom, which is adjacent to the showers and all that. Which and I was thinking, well, well maybe someone's been taking a shower, but it's like, they've been, they stopped taking showers well before like six or so. So there should have been no steam. There should be no condensation. There should be no... Because I'm trying to troubleshoot it. Because <clears throat> who wants to think that you're seeing something creepy? I'm sitting in there. And 
I was like, hey, uh, yeah. I asked him, hey, everything cool? Yeah, yeah, things are okay. And I'm looking at the screens. Everything good? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Everything quiet downstairs? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> this keeps going on. And then it gets very dark, almost like if you've ever looked at, at a mirror, I don't know if you've ever scryed or anything, the outlines of the mirror start kind of flickery and almost ripply and fade dark, like tunnel vision. It was like that, but it was on the screen. I'm like, man, something's wrong with the screen. But then where that ripple was, a small white, almost like a vortex. I can't call it anything else. It wasn't like a tornado, but it was like a, like a, like a, like a, remember turning like the old televisions off and on and they go white, but it was in the reverse. And it looked like it was about the size of a basketball. And then it got bigger, about the size of like a small, not like a, they had a fish concert beach ball, not something huge, but like a regular beach ball. And this wasn't an orb. This wasn't a dust thing. This thing was illuminated, almost like, almost like you had plasma inside of a contained, like a piece of glass, almost like a fluorescent bulb, like a gas-powered fluorescent bulb. And it sat there, and it would kind of, you could see the stuff swirling. It was really odd. It was beautiful in a way. And it was sort of dim, brighten, dim and brighten. And it started kind of coming down the wall. First I thought it was growing, but then I could see where it was lighting up the walls. But it wasn't casting any reflection. It was like it, it was there, but it wasn't there. And I see this thing. Now the sky is up on the top floors. And it's getting a little bit closer. And it gets to doing sort of a figure eight. Almost like you hear like a will-o'-wisp or, or a swamp gas or something that they, they claim is there. <clears throat> well, I go, hey, where are you at? Because you're really not supposed to talk on the radio overnight. I say, hey, uh, do me a favor. Um, make sure to check the gates on 20 Walk. I just made it. Make sure it's locked. I don't go, I think there's a spook. So he's getting ready to come down. He's about two or three walks from it. This thing starts, it starts really going. And then it kind of does like a whoop, like toward the camera back, and then goes zoom off to the right, and it had a tail, almost like a comet. It was so bright, the camera went, went black for a second, then went come back on. Like it totally killed the camera. Nothing. Completely gone. <clears throat> I said, yeah, check that. And I said, do me a favor, make sure that nobody has a crock pot on or something, or somebody, make sure it didn't take somebody getting a laser pointer. So I'm trying to think of anything to do. I said, uh, yeah, everything's fine. I said, oh, sorry, sorry, Ash, what's up? I said, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. I, don't, I, can I, I don't mean to curse, but don't bullshit me. What's going on? I mean, if there's something weird, I need to know. Or there's something scary, or something, a threat. I said, no, it's, I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. He said, try me. And I said, yeah, and this, and the light, and the whoop whoop, and it ripping, whoosh, and there goes the camera. And he went, yeah, that sounds right. I went, oh, man, man, don't, don't play with me. He said, no. No, that, that happens. He said, uh, not everybody sees that. Uh, he said, uh, some people see it. Some people see it, don't talk about it. Very few, like yourself, have seen it and talk about it. And I said, you don't think I'm nuts? <laughs> no, I've seen it. And I went, well, what happened? What's Why? I said, that used to be Death Walk. And there's been murders that happened down in the far ends. It let out, so you have three or four men deep. You can't see the back. People take each other out, and there's also been... Murders in the showers just adjacent to it. And also, that was where the place was invented properly. And all the methane gas coming there killed a lot of people. And I said, but there's not methane gas now, right? So no, no, I mean, it's 
state-of-the-art stuff compared to then. And I said, uh, wow. He said, yeah, welcome to KSP, kid. And and that's when I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is, this is something. I'm like working in a haunted house, but with violent murderers. Since you've been, you've been into the paranormal for a long time, since you were a kid, when you got the job here, was there a part of you that kind of geeked out a little bit in terms of like what you may find? Okay. Well, I'll say this. I'll have to turn that one around. It was the paranormal that got into me. I was cool, you know, watching Captain Kangaroo and eating Kaboom cereal. Uh, when, when shadows and weird stuff started happening around me, I, I, I had to learn to adapt. You ever seen like when those guys on Dateline come in, you know, he's coming in as an inmate, he's undercover, I'm coming in here, I'm, I'm a guard, I'm this and that. They had no clue of my paranormal interest. And I treated it like my own little sociological, anthropological uh, study. And You were an undercover ghost investigator. More or less. More or less. Once people kind of got hip, because, you know, I didn't write the book until after I left, people started to be like, uh, well, man, that's really, that's kind of weird. I've seen a few things, and once they realized I was cool with it, then they said, well, Asher's okay, he's not a flake. And then that's when the stories come to me. And then that's when people, you started kind of getting like a little circle of people going, hey, man, you know, have you heard about this one? Did you see this one? Well, you should talk to officer to blah, blah, blah. Or even some of the inmates, and inmates opened up to me. And uh, so that's where I kind of became resident authority for whatever that's worth. I had a friend of mine, uh, I'll just tell his name, his name is Morgan, and uh, he called me and he said, yo, Asher, I'm tripping out. I said, where are you working? Infirmary. I said, okay. I said, uh, so let's talk about these steps. He said, okay, let me ask you, uh, walking behind you or in front of you? He said, behind me. I said, okay, well, that's okay then. That's okay then. I said, uh, let me ask you on the type of boots. It wasn't regular boots, right? He says, no, and I was trying to understand it. It was almost like it, like a, I don't know if it was a cane, but it clicked at the same time. I said, no, how about more like a wooden-heeled boot? He said, that's exactly what it sounded like. So that's old convict boots. I said, okay. I said, just, and I said, what about anything else? I said, I was starting to hear smacking, and I thought something was hitting the side of it, but it's the locks. I said, yeah, that's red. He said, who the, it's red. And I told him the story. He said, he ain't going to hurt you. He ain't going to hurt you. He's actually trying to help you. I said, go, do your next round, <clears throat> and just go. All right, Red, we got it. Appreciate you. Go lay down. We got it for tonight, man. And he said, what? I said, trust me. He went out and did it. Called back 40 minutes later. I said, well, I said, I'll be damned at it. It's, it's left me alone. He said, it's gone. I said, oh, no, it's there. But it's, it's not bothering you. It's trying to make sure you're doing your job. It's the nature of the place, man. And some people... Some people can't give the job up. I've lost friends here. You know, I had a friend on a team who uh, was dealing with a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff he felt like it was oppressing. He was, I call him, he's my good little Catholic boy. I was talking to him one day and I said, hey man, we need to talk. Let's hang out because he'd been really distant for a few days. I said, man, we need to talk, man. You're my buddy. You know, I call everybody brothers, my buddies. You're my brother, you know. I said, okay, man, we'll get together. Went home and he went to his bedroom. 
put his toe in a shotgun, took his face and head off. And I got out of the paranormal research for a long time, and I can't help but think about him because he'd work fourth floor, and we'd sit and talk. It's hard. It's hard. Because, I mean, a lot of people have this paranormal trip and it's like it's cool and it's sexy and it's freeze framing and we all got matching shirts and and it's a laugh it's laugh olympics it's fun man but there's some really dark shit that comes along with it and uh i hate i hate losing people i've lost my grandparents my, my parents two children I'm, I'm done losing people but i'm still i still have the paranormal because it's you know you never know I, I might i might hear from those folks again sometime Working in a penitentiary affects people different ways. You know, some people come in, be they visit, be it they work here, be it they whatever, they leave, and it just was what it was. They digest it, they shit and purge it, and they go on to their next, you know, phase of life, onto the next vibrational plane, as it were. Some people come in here, and it catches them, it snags on them, and it affects them, distorts them, warps them to a certain point opens them up sometimes and then there's a contingent of us that that never leave be it physically mentally spiritually you're stuck here you're you're damned Thank you for listening to this edition of Euphemet. To learn more about Steve Asher's work, including his book on the Kentucky State Penitentiary, visit steveeasher.com. I'd like to thank Care Of and Empty Faces for their support. Please check out their offers in our show notes and take advantage of these really great partners to the show. Make sure to also join us on Facebook. Our group, The Society of Euphemet, is where myself and listeners go to share their own experiences and talk about the show. You can follow us at Euphemet on social media and me at It's Jim Perry on Twitter and Instagram. And please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry. And until next time, keep looking up.